This episode is brought to you by Longhorn Lager from Farmer's Creed Beer. It's time to grab the bull by the horns. I let it fade out there. I let it fade out today. I didn't interrupt it. I wanted to hear that. Good morning, everyone. Uh, this is <laughs> this is like very formal. Sorry, it is morning for me. It's very early in the morning. Uh, if you're listening, you'll notice that uh, this is hitting your podcast library later than usual. I apologize. I didn't get a chance to record my intro last night, so I'm up at the crack of dawn having a cup of coffee. So it's a different vibe. It's caffeinated, not alcoholized anyway the program of course is beer and bullshit i'm your host ben johnson Uh, in case you haven't noticed chris pellerin is not with us this week one of those crazy kid volleyball office fourth quarter financials something fiscals i don't know he couldn't make it so it's just me i'm sorry in advance to the pellheads but we got a good show uh we've got Tarek from Revel Cider, probably one of the best cider makers in the province, if not the world. Um, I unfortunately called Tariq because, you know, when you've seen a name a hundred times, but I I don't think I've ever said it out loud or heard it out loud. So it's spelled T-A-R-I-Q and I called him Tariq and he was nice enough not to correct me. I've since learned it's Tarek. So sorry, buddy. We had a great chat. Uh, There's a little bit of a finding a good Wi-Fi hotspot in the beginning, so it starts off a little rough. But once we get things going, it's lovely. Um, so we'll get into that. But first, I feel like I've talked about uh, Barvolo on this show at least a dozen times. They seem to come up, and rightly so. They come up all the time. It is craft beer mecca. It is a place where a lot of people, including myself, got their first taste of craft beer and understood what a really good beer bar could could be like. They were doing it early and uh, doing it well from the beginning. I know that uh, two of my most memorable exposures to craft beer happened there. The first was when I met Troy Birch. I think we talked about it when he was on the show. Uh, I was just getting into beer writing, and I met with Troy to have a drink. Uh, we both, I worked at Queen's Park at the time, and he had recently stopped working at Queen's Park, so it's a quick walk from there. Uh, and we met and had a drink and he was talking to me about beer writing and the beer industry and I swear it was the very same day that he had given notice to go work in beer full-time I forget what he was doing at the time maybe he'd quit Queens Park and gone to work for taps anyway listen to that episode if you want Troy's story it's not about Troy's fucking life story today um, but that was a memorable experience because it was my first real foray into that world and then because I worked in proximity, it became a place where I would go after work to try new things and learn more about craft beer. And I remember vividly uh, an experience where I decided to pop in and it was like, you know, a Wednesday or something and it wasn't very busy. And I sat up top. I don't know if, if you if you went to the old Volo, you know, there was like kind of a random selection of furniture, but there was like that two steps up where you had to work walk to approach the bar and if it wasn't too busy there was actually rail seating so you could sit and look down on a couple tables and look at the amazing chalkboard of like phenomenal beers so i was sitting there in that that rail seating area and i got a flight and tom tom morena uh, was working the place and we just started chatting and i you know i don't know if i if i ordered it or if he suggested it but i remember having um 
a rosé de biscuits from um, De De Ciel. And it was like, I think that was my first experience where it was like, oh, wow, beer is pretty cool and can be super different. I mean, I had had other beers at the time, you know, like Tank House was around. So you were like, oh, yes, beer can be hoppy and this. And, but like until I had that little pink glass of rosé de hibiscus, which is like if you haven't had it, it's like a very floral, slightly acidic, gorgeous pink beer delicate wheat beer um with hibiscus in it and i i remember vividly having a great conversation with tom about it i mean like oh wow and obviously you know he's he was a beer he, he was into beer bef- for a long time before that he only he owned, he owned volo but he was happy to talk about did cl and it was a great experience and i remember also uh when they opened the new volo uh not the little one which is also awesome um i remember a great experience there too where i just i just was in toronto and i popped in and just had it was like winter and the place was rammed it was newly opened and it was just awesome to see it ran with a totally different crowd than the crowd that they used to get on young street and it, the windows were all fogged up and i just sat in the corner and had a stout anyway uh all this is to say that Volo has been uh, pretty important to most people's craft beer discovery and craft beer journey. I, uh, If I'm anywhere in the neighborhood, I used to live in Little Italy, so when I'm in Toronto now, I make a point of going to the, the Little Italy location. Um, <laughs> I've been trying to get these guys on the show. I've been emailing them, uh, but to no avail, and I recently thought, I, I, I maybe I thought I had the wrong email address. I'm like, why don't I just hit them up on Instagram? Because that's often how I sh- chat with people. And I, I couldn't find the Volo accounts. And uh, it turns out I'm blocked. <laughs> so I don't know what I did, but I've angered the Moranas uh, uh, to, to have blocked both my personal account and the Beer and Bullshit account. So I, I don't know what's going on. I've, I mean, if you listen to this show, you know I can shoot from the hip. I probably said something stupid or said something about cask beer that offended them. Or maybe I mocked cask days one too many times. Love cask days. Love to mock the idea of uh, warm, uh, uncarbonated beer by saying it would be a great festival if the beer was carbonated. Hopefully everyone understands that's tongue-in-cheek, and hopefully I can figure out what I've done to offend, because I would love to have those guys, uh, Tom and Julian and their dad, Ralph, on the show, because they're icons. Uh, they've done great things for beer in not just the city of Toronto, but uh, Ontario. On the show, they come up all the time. My guest this week uh, speaks about the fact that the first keg he ever sold was to Volo, and many, many people have that same experience, because they are at the forefront, and they're they're buying beers before other people. Um Okay, all that said, if you're a, if you're a Marana and you don't hate me so much that you don't listen to the show, let's get in touch. What did I do? I'm sorry. Let's talk it out on the show maybe. Uh, it's unfortunate. I you know, I I, I know I'm uh, not for everyone, but I hope I haven't offended too badly. But let's get to our show. I already I already mentioned that it's it's Tarek from from Revel Cider. Um, awesome guy, awesome ciders, awesome business that's having a tough go right now. Uh, so yes, bear with us. It's another one of those, uh, kind of depressing small business stories, but, uh, hopefully there's a light at the end of the tunnel and hopefully, you know, folks listening to the show can get out and help him out, uh, buy some cider, learn why you should buy his cider. He's really, really geeks out on terroir and, uh, microbiology. 
and he's having a tap taker tap takeover we mentioned it uh, in the interview but in case you're about to turn this off because you're not interested for some reason you should go to pub milos uh, friday and saturday to taste some revel ciders um anyway this is uh Tarek from revel cider here we go all right so cool. this is actually the production space <laughs> nice show me one apple is there an apple nearby? No. Oh, there's no <laughs> apples. Oh, I have I have some apples, but they're in the reefer that's locked. <laughs> it's all good. Okay, so you were saying you mark your anniversary as March 27th, 2015, but then the reason cut out. This is way better oh, already, by the way. Oh, great. Perfect. <laughs> uh, the reason was that um, that's when we sold our first keg, or that's okay. when I sold the first keg. Yeah. Uh, well, just made to, that to whom did you sell it? Uh, so yeah, we had a little launch party at uh, Borealis here in Guelph. Um, they were, I guess, technically, um, yeah, it's so tough. I feel like, um, cause I'm pretty sure Volo might actually have like the 001 invoice. Uh, but they definitely didn't tap the first keg. Anyhow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had, we had a little party here in Guelph and then Volo was either right just before or shortly after. I got to go check my notes on that. But yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you were a farmer just into fermentation. Is that kind of the vibe? Like, how does that, how does, how does one get into fermentation? You just notice some things are rotting in an interesting way. And you're like, <laughs> I'm going to drink that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, I studied plant science here at the University of Guelph, um, okay. wanting, wanting to become a farmer. And then what ended up happening was I, I in my second year, I, I kind of gotten sick of like just learning things out of textbooks. So I was like, this isn't like really farming. Like there's a physical and mental aspect of being in the fields that I didn't feel like I was getting. And so I lived on an organic farm, did an internship uh, basically in the summer after second year um, to try and get that uh, like true agricultural experience. Um, I was pretty interested in organic agriculture. Uh, so the farm that I went to was uh, an organic vegetable farm primarily, but they also had some fruit trees pretty much every animal, uh, well, maybe not every animal, but the typical, the big farm animals you think of, so chickens, uh, cows, horses, and pigs, um, they kind of treated their farm as an ecosystem, right? So they would like, I feel like the best example I have of that is when we wanted to plant strawberries in um, a little field that they sectioned off, they put the pigs in that field for uh, a week and let the pigs kind of overturn and uproot everything that so that that was like the pigs basically tilled the field for yeah. us yeah and and fertilize it of course at the same time yeah and we got them out of there uh you know you wait uh whatever period and then you uh plant your strawberries and you have a you know a field that's prepped and ready to go um so they treated the whole thing like an ecosystem kind of like that uh, nice. which is kind of uh, yeah really interesting to me there's a distinction to be drawn there that you chose toiling in pig shit and sitting in a classroom in guelph <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's uh yeah that's that's what i had hoped to uh i guess experience in guelph <laughs> <laughs> well it's too yeah, bad my co-host my <laughs> co-host isn't available chris chris is a he, he went to guelph too uh oh. he, he took a lot he also didn't spend much time in a classroom <laughs> but most of it, <laughs> I think it was spent smoking weed and watching soap operas and doing that. So he took he, he took a few victory laps around the University of Guelph and finished finally finished with his degree. But nice. Yeah. I, I did not finish, so for whatever that that's worth. <laughs> okay, 
I, my yeah. experiences with Guelph uh, are not good because it, I mean, Chris is one of my best friends. I've known him since kindergarten, but like I would go to Guelph and inevitably sleep on a floor or a shitty couch and just be hammered. <laughs> sure. and so it was, I've never had a high opinion of Guelph. So maybe I haven't given it a fair <laughs> shake. Maybe yeah. There's there, there, some pigs. There's certainly a lot of that too. Uh, but uh, the university did give me um, the funding to start the business in the first place. So, oh, nice. uh, yeah, I feel like I, I owe them a lot uh, there. So how do you get from, you know, learning about the way the animals are naturally, you know, tilling soil and fertilizing to being like, hey, some of this stuff is fermenting in an interesting way. I mean, is that is that really how it happened or am I simplifying? Yeah, yeah. So a couple steps in between. Um, but basically, yeah, kind of. Uh, so, OK, so they had. um they had what they called a focus for every intern. And so it was a self-directed project on Saturdays that you did yourself and your off time. Um, and you could use whatever kind of resources the farm had to offer, but I ended up choosing uh, fermentation as my focus. And so that didn't actually mean alcoholic fermentation at the beginning. Right. I, I had um, started by just doing a vegetable fermentation. So like spontaneously fermented, you know, sauerkraut and and pickles, uh, pickled carrots and things like that. Um, so basically leaving those outside kind of in their outdoor kitchen um, and allowing them to ferment with the, you know, wild yeast and bacteria on those vegetables. Hmm. Uh, mulberries came around and of course strawberries and, and rhubarb were early things as well. And I started fermenting those. Um, and kind of got the bug for for alcoholic fermentation uh, at that point. Um, kind of fast forward a bit, coming back to U of G uh, in the fall. And what I ended up doing was I, I got a job at a restaurant, um, which is what I was doing prior to the farm as well. And uh, I ended up taking a couple of uh, empty kegs home and I would, you know, go to the farmer's market, buy apples, and I would start fermenting them in uh, our garage at the time. Um, just to kind of learn what these like different varieties of apples would do. So I started doing like I did a single varietal Northern Spy and I remember a single varietal Golden Russet. What I ended up doing from there is I would, I would keg them kind of as like a home brewer uh, setup, and I would download a murder mystery script off of the internet and get all my friends to act in these murder mysteries. Whoa, I, would whoa, run a cash... I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that. Coming. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, would, I would run. I would run a cash bar, uh, basically, and and sell enough of that cider to go and buy more apples the next morning, uh, <laughs> farmers market. And so that was kind of how I funded the, uh, I guess, an early initial um, fermentation projects. Eventually, yeah, I mean, everyone was like really into it, but obviously we're a bunch of university students. So I think, you know, any any booze is kind of interesting. Um, sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I um, decided that I kind of knew, or I kind of felt like that's kind of what I wanted to do basically. Uh, and so I stopped taking the courses that I needed to actually finish the degree. And I just started taking courses that I thought were interesting to me. One of those being um, a fourth year business course, uh, which was basically like you, you ended the course with a uh, business plan. So you spent the entire semester just building a business plan for a business that you theoretically wanted to run. Uh, and at this point in time, the university had just started an incubator program for undergrads or alumni to kind of pitch them business ideas and to start those businesses if they decided you were 
as someone that they picked to win this grant money. And so I pitched and uh, happened to win it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's actually, um, so Escarpment Labs, that's also how they got their funding. They were in the second cohort uh, just okay. after me. Um, and I believe Acid League also got funding out of that program, I think. Don't quote me on that one, maybe. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they also got funding from that program. Maybe not, but hmm. anyhow, there was, there was a few interesting businesses that came out of that um, that are still around today. I feel like fermentation just all of a sudden became a thing. Maybe 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 it wasn't <laughs> just all of a sudden, but would you, like, were you ahead of it or was that exactly the right timing or was there people leading the charge? Because all of a sudden it was like kimchi and fermented vegetables and everyone was talking about fermentation and I was like, why the fucker? Why is everyone so interested in this all of a sudden? Like, was that? Yeah. Were you, were I think you like, I was like catching that? I was part you, of that. Yeah, I was part of that wave for sure. Um, yeah, I don't think, uh, I mean, fermentation is as old as time. Right, so. of course. I mean more than like <laughs> Yeah, totally, totally. Among white uh, Toronto hipsters, it suddenly became cool. <laughs> That's sure, a- sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like, I feel like uh, at that point in time, like people were kind of excited about Noma and the things that they were doing. Right. Um, uh, that has, you know, obviously become, you know, much kind of, uh, more established project uh, uh, since, and then have they shut down or something now, or they have a new spot in Mexico or something? I don't. I haven't paid close enough attention at this point, but um, yeah, I, I was definitely part of that. I think. I think more. I guess more um, re- relevant to this conversation is like cider was also becoming uh, an exciting thing at, at that point in time. Uh, it was really like, you know, the players at that point before I kind of came onto the scene. It was West Avenue. Um, Spirit Tree. And I feel like those are the ones you would see at least on tap in Toronto. Um, Wapoos as well, actually. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Hommies. Yeah. Wapoos as well. Hommies too. Yeah. Those guys just bought back their business, actually, Nick and Lindsay. Uh, so you'll see. I mean, Pommies never went away. They sold the business and now they bought it back. Uh, I just heard. But uh, yeah. There was another one. They had large, like, um, like wine bottles in uh, clear uncolored glass. And one of them was called rusty something. Mm. Anyway, I think oh, I was yeah. tasked with doing like the top 10 breweries in Toronto, near Toronto when I wrote for blog to So I remember sure. those guys. Yeah. 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 I do remember that one too. I don't remember what it's called, but uh, I know what you're talking about. But now, I mean, I looked at the Ontario, I'm going to fuck it up, Ontario cider mm-hmm. people, whatever they're called, but they are touting there's like 60 or something in Ontario now. Yeah, I there's another kind of group of folks who tracks this a little bit more closely because the Cider Association tracks their own members of which like I'm not a member of that association right. um, any longer. And so they don't catch everyone in Ontario. And I think it might be closer to 80 I'm just forgetting a cider crate. That's who it is. Uh, okay. They, I think they might track Canada wide, but uh, they definitely are. They they live in Ontario, so um, their their focus is, is certainly here, and they, they have quite a few more. But a lot of it is like kind of small, small operations that are making you know maybe they make um a thousand liters a year. So like what that's like thirty kegs worth. I mean they're certainly right. not kegging right. that at, right. at that scale, but. Uh, uh, yeah, that so there, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of like little stuff like that um, as well happening. So I think that's probably pretty slow growth, right? I mean, if you consider, I mean, yeah. you put it next to breweries, for example. I mean, beer is obviously much more mainstream, but the growth mm-hmm. has, I mean, I guess it's been large, but that's not a huge number. And I think 
part of this has to do with the fact that it's really fucking expensive to make cider in Ontario. And people don't really talk about that. You're like, cider is like a thing. And I'm guilty of this too. It's like a thing that your gluten-free friend drinks. <laughs> and I'm like, we don't get sure. it. It's proper do. But, but then you find somebody like you, or you find somebody like West Avenue, which both of those experiences for me were like, holy shit, cider can be pretty amazing. But I think yeah, yeah. it's harder to get those experiences because it's a little bit insane to start making cider in Ontario, like the taxation, the environment, like, I mean, environment, we're great. We're one of the best apple growing regions in the world, I think. So that's for sure. For sure. But just the the government and the taxation is a nightmare, right? Yeah. The tax, the taxation really doesn't make sense um, anymore. I mean, that hasn't, you know, changed significantly you know, since what, 2019 or so, it's been pretty stable since then. However, when I started making cider, the taxes when we sold to a bar and restaurant, um, which are around 40% now, goes to the LCBO. If I sell a keg to Milos's, for example, yeah. um, the LCBO, you know, not being part of that sale, I make it, I deliver it myself. They just get a cut. Um, of course because we're in Ontario. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that used to be closer to, to half of that when I started the business. Um, again, I've been around for, for quite a while, but uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was certainly challenging then. That, um, Have you had a break? Has there been a break in that taxation? There hasn't. Um, the only kind of break that we got was figuring out how to sell direct to consumer. Um, yeah which a lot of the impetus for that in the first place was them increasing those taxes um, from 20 to about 40. Uh, and so we were like, okay, like literally we'll have to double production just to stay at the same level we were at, which like it was a two, we were a two person team when that happened. And, you know, neither of us was getting paid enough probably for, for right. what we were doing uh, at the time. They were like, okay, we literally, yeah, we can't just like double production out of nowhere. Uh, so we have to find like another way to survive. We knew that the taxes were significantly less if you were selling direct to consumer, but we weren't allowed to have a bottle shop at that point because to do that, you had to be, um, your production space had to be attached to five acres of orchard. And so we did a whole thing with Twin Pines where uh, they, you know, it's our, it's our, both our farmer and they make cider for anyone listening who doesn't know Twin Pines. Um, but basically I went to them and I said, Hey, like you've got, you know, 50 acres, you've got your own cidery. You also have this shed. Can I lease shed. five <laughs> acres and your shed basically uh, and, and, and do this. And it was the first time ever that someone had kind of tried to apply for um, the retail store authorization in order to allow you to sell direct consumer in Ontario for cider or wine without actually owning that land in the first place. Mm. But basically I had, I mean, this was also another like, I guess, pivotal point for the business where I was like, we're either going to like, have to leave Ontario or we're just going to shut down or we have to like get really creative and figure something out. Uh, and so I spent a few nights reading all the laws and it's like, there's nowhere here that says you actually have to own the land. It just says your cidery has to be attached to five acres huh. on like the same parcel of the land. So I, I basically had a three hour call with the HCO's lawyers. Um, and I was like, this is what I want to do. Here's how I'm going to check all your boxes. Like, is this allowed? And they're like, they don't yeah, usually I mean, you, it, they don't usually give you a definitive answer, right? They're like, well, I don't know. And then you have to do it and wait and see if you pass inspection or some stupid shit. 
Well, yeah, so there was some of that for sure. Uh, but basically what they said on the phone was like, look, um, you know, we don't make these laws. We're just here to enforce them. And it sounds like you have a way of fulfilling all of the check boxes that the laws want to see. So it sounds great. Go for it. Uh, and I was like, okay. And so then what happened was the, uh, the inspector actually did come out and uh, the, the way we had initially set up the lease was like, I was leasing. So they have a 50 acre par parcel of land and I leased uh, on paper, like a corner of the property for the orchard. Right. And then the, uh, the actual like shed that we you know made a production facility wasn't it was on the same parcel of land which is what the law said but it wasn't actually attached uh huh. which was like <laughs> so the the inspector said they didn't they didn't like that and i then called the agency because i was like i literally spoke to your boss about this and they were fine with it so like what are you talking about yeah. uh and then i called them back and i was like what the heck is going on it's on the same parcel of land that's what the law says they're like look your path of least resistance here is just to redraw your map. And I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I went to compliance. I was like, can we just redraw this map? They're like, sure. And so we did it and it passed. They're like, great. Okay. I thought you were going to come back out. I thought you were going to say use the Forked River. I don't know if you know Forked River Brewery here in London. I heard, I heard, I heard. Yeah, it was a similar situation. Yeah. Could have just run a hose. Remember hearing that. hose from your parcel of land to your shed. There you go. But I feel like we glossed over how crazy that is. To have yeah. a retail store and sell your cider, you have to have a five-acre orchard. I mean, that's how we used to interpret it. You found a kind of a loophole, but like, talk about a barrier to entry. Like, craft breweries complain about the zoning and the shit they have to go through, but like the fact that you have to find a space that has five acres and then you have a retail store there too. Like, talk about foot traffic. Like, it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Foot traffic, everything. Like, and it also is just like um. It it skews the entire industry to you know generational wealth and, and land ownership and it's right. like that it, it it kept young people out of the industry um, like I you know any room that I walked into for almost a decade I was the youngest person there and yeah I started quite young right. um, but still like there it, it was everyone else's second career. Yeah, well, same with craft beer why. usually, but yes. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, of course, it is like a yeah, pretty capital intensive. Uh, Does Ontario have that, old that cider sense. money? Is there but, a bunch uh, of the crusty guys down at the yacht club well, talking about cider? <laughs> it's not necessarily that. It's just that um, you know people have owned land for generations, and like uh, right. you know, if you're it's, even if you're just trying to get into farming in general, like maybe you're not trying to make cider or anything. That is nearly impossible for young people now with the price of land these days. Right. Um, and that had just like essentially from when I started till now, that's only it's been it's been a crazy um, increase in value uh, on land. And so like, there's a, there's just no way I would ever own a farm, I don't think. Right. So you not, never not, actually not with these that. taxes. You did you ever buy that five acres? Because I bet you wish you did now. If you didn't. No. Yeah, we, we well, we just leased from Twin Pines, right? right? right. Uh, yeah. So we never. Yeah, we own no land. Um, we are an urban cidery and have been from the beginning. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly wish I did, but there was no way I could have even at that point. Like, <laughs> no, I, just, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have any resources. So. Are you looking for a smooth, lightly filtered lager with a balanced taste and crisp finish? Grab the bull by the horns. Longhorn Lager from Farmer's Creed Beer is available at Select Beer and LCBO stores now. Details at FarmersCreedBeer.com. 
So has Cider had a boom? Like, I mean, did you sense something was coming? Or you're just like, I really like this. There's a couple people that are making really good cider. Like, where do you even look for the inspiration? I mean, Ontario, we always say it's, you know, 10 years behind the US. We've always, in beer, we've always had sort of yeah. a, a, a map or a blueprint. Like, yeah, you know, we're about roughly in terms of, in terms of uh, flavors and trends. We're about 10 years behind the US. Is that similar for cider or that, that that that's certainly the case for cider here however i would say you know we 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 look for inspiration just to answer your question we, we look for inspiration both uh, outside of the country as well as just to like our local environment and what's growing here right so yeah for us you know I've gone, I've been lucky enough to go to Europe, uh, you know, quite a few times over the last decade. Uh, there was a, there was a pretty sweet grant that uh, allowed that. So on the one hand, yeah, they tax you like crazy, but there is uh, a little travel grant. It certainly doesn't make up for the taxes, but uh, uh, there is a, tra a, a grant to travel if you're kind of, um, uh, if you're making things with agricultural products in Ontario to go and try and export them. And so we've always kind of traveled under that. But while you're out there, you know, trying to meet with importers, you're also tasting the things that are in other countries. And so we've taken a lot of inspiration from from different parts of Europe, uh, as well as the States, because there, there are cool things happening in the States, too. And they're, they're very different things, too, right? You know, Europe is, I, I think, similar to beer, you know, Europe has some very, like, old traditions with with cider making whereas uh in in the states you'll find some kind of newer uh thought processes hmm. so is there like a belgium for cider like who's certainly who, yeah who, is it yeah belgium? so it's <laughs> well no it's it's not it's not belgium although I, I believe there is some cider being made in belgium but uh it, it, that wouldn't be like the you know mecca so to speak okay um People, people would talk about northern Spain, okay. um, you know, Basque in Asturias, and, right. and of course, Basque stretches into France as well. And so France, um, Brittany and Normandy, those two regions of France, um, as well as the UK, those are basically the three kind of historic cider producing uh, countries. Huh. And when did, or has it, like, was there a boom in Ontario where suddenly everyone, you know, was I maybe not everyone was buying cider, but was there suddenly a time where you're like, oh man, this is really taking off, or like you're like this maybe this yeah. is actually a, a a possible business model and I can make some money from this? Well, I think we jumped right into it like in 2014 when I started. I kind of jumped into the middle of it. Like uh, I think West Ave was probably even better timing. They started two years before um, me, and you know I should I should mention uh, there's like some funny kind of stuff that has happened like West Avenue rented space from Pommies for their first two years of operation. And then mm -hmm. I rented space in West House facility for the first two years of my operation. Um, <laughs> so we've all kind of paid it forward a little bit. Nice. Um, but yeah, I think Pommies got a lot of help from Wapoose in the early, early days. And so it's all kind of like, uh, <laughs> it, it's all stemmed, uh, pardon the pun, I guess. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> <from> <laughs> we can do apple pun. Anyhow. Uh, yeah, you yeah, can think on the core pun. There's a lot to work with. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I feel like, you know, when I started 2014, like there was a cider week in Toronto um, and that had just started, uh, you know, that long, no longer happens anymore. Um, but, uh, it, you know, people were really excited about that. People were lining up around the block for it, for at the different bars that were participating uh, at the time. Yeah. And yeah, that, that certainly, sorry, that certainly felt like the, um, the, I guess crest maybe of the wave uh right there from like um 
a consumption standpoint. Um, you know, people, I think, I think like we've, we've certainly benefited just from like, you know, continuing to make kind of interesting products and, and staying relevant. Whereas like, uh, you know, if you go into Toronto, there's like only really a couple of cideries that you'll find on tap, you know, aside from the bigger, bigger operations. Um, it's, it's primarily us in West have that you find on tap in different, in different spots. Um, yeah. Or Brickworks, which, but that's just the whole AB and distribution model. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Brickworks is in Bev now. Um, yeah. I mean, you certainly see some of that, but yeah, I, I would consider them amongst those kind of bigger, uh, yeah, bigger of operations now. Yeah. 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 And so, okay, record time maybe that before we mentioned COVID, but like things, yeah. things things tend to get dark for small businesses and small beverage businesses in particular around 2019. And I, I mean, we'll get to your recent news, but I'm assuming this is maybe where things started to go sour. Womp womp. Did another one. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so so actually not quite um actually the opposite for us during COVID. Oh, yeah. uh so because we had kind of done this thing with um with getting the direct consumer operation going that was so that actually went live let's see in december of 2018 and so throughout 2019 you know the online business like it was purely online right like yeah we technically could have sold a uh, product at Twin Pines Farm, but like they're two and a half hours from us. That wasn't going to happen. We were just, we just got it to be able to ship online. Right. And I had asked the AGCO, I was like, okay, if I do this, like, can I ship online out of the Guelph warehouse? And they're like, yeah, you can. So mm. I was like, great. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, so we got all of that just to be able to ship online out of our space in Guelph. Right. Uh, which is bunkers, but uh, that's what we did. Uh, and so we were kind of ahead of the curve with the whole e-commerce thing a little bit. So we had had, you know, we had we had already kind of made some mistakes and had, you know, slightly better boxes um, for shipping and had just like figured some things out. Um, you know, we had already kind of started our newsletter a little bit um, and folks had been drinking our stuff in bars for like, what, four years before I got the online store going. So people were excited about it. But what ended up happening was during COVID, especially those like early, early lockdowns, you know, you would see, well, I think there was like a certain number of people who already were buying Revel online. And that was the only way you could get Revel at home, by the way. Right. So there was, there's no way you couldn't come to Guelph and buy it from our shop. Even if you lived in Guelph, you had to order online because that was the only way we could sell it because you did not have a shop in Guelph at that time because the Guelph location was not on Five Acres Orchard. Uh, And so, yeah, people knew that the only way to drink Revel at home was uh, by ordering online. And I think they just like told all their friends and then we ended up on like every, you know, listicle, whatever that that went out of like, here's how you can get alcohol delivered. Uh, and like we were at the top of that list uh, every single time. Uh, <laughs> and so things were like wild. You're the, you're the underage COVID. kids best friend. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I don't I don't think there were any because like the price point really didn't work probably yeah. for underage <laughs> yeah, kids. Yeah, but uh, it was like me and the two production guys like in my shitty red pickup truck and we would rotate who was driving to <laughs> Toronto that day and delivering basically. And so it was like, and, and I remember early days of COVID, right? No one was on the roads. So, and and gas was so cheap because the price had tanked. And so we were doing like 70, 80 deliveries in an eight hour shift in Toronto, driving to and from Guelph, which is kind of bonkers. But like, those are like really 
great days for the business as yeah, much yeah. as the world was on fire. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so, and not only that, like, you know, I mentioned earlier, the, the reason we got the online store in the first place was because the, the taxes were so much less that we would pay 10% uh, to the, to the government, you know, plus HST, right? Um, right. I, I'm not including HST in any of these taxation numbers. Um, but you would pay approximately 10% of your uh, direct consumer sales to the government versus, you know, 40% of a licensee sale. And now all of a sudden, like all the bars were closed and people, and just like people in general were buying and they were in this like, um, uh, so we're in like a different kind of like taxation structure. Uh, so all of a sudden the business was like a lot more profitable as well. Um, which allowed us to, you know, the financial space to hire a lot of people that were kind of laid off from restaurant jobs. We also just needed people to pack boxes and get them out of the building. Um, so that was sweet. And it also allowed us to kind of like do our, our, our donation program that we had going throughout COVID, um, which was kind of sweet as well. Um, yeah, those margins have all, you know, completely disappeared and things have yeah. flipped back in a big way. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, when things that started to sour was really was really kind of last year like early 2022 um we've now so you know we're pulling up the world is pulling up out of covid and we're trying to figure out what rebel cider looks like in, in this kind of post covid environment uh because you know having had i guess a little taste of like oh this business actually works now it's like we really don't want to go back like we want to sell the bars and restaurants and you know bars and restaurants built this business but like mm -hmm. at the same time uh if i'm going to keep everyone employed then like uh, you know we had to figure out how to keep the kind of e-commerce thing going and it, it was kind of like a slowly had started to shrink um and yeah had, had definitely shrunk in a in a pretty significant way um post covid i mean there, there's like a few reasons for that and i think every everyone's e-commerce business has shrunk post covid so that's right. certainly not just us like it's a function of people you know being able to spend their money elsewhere and not just being tracked at home and only being able to buy booze online yeah exactly. Uh, <laughs> now you can you know buy a plane ticket somewhere and have a vacation again so like certainly uh but also and everything also, costs course, fucking inflation. so much now yeah i think i think so we're people drinking just less have because as we're money as well yeah, yeah. And you're like expendable extra income where you'd be like, fuck it, I'll buy a hundred dollar case of something online. People just aren't really doing that right now because it's so everything else is so goddamn expensive. Totally, totally. Yeah. And so there's 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 yeah, that kind of layered on to everything. Um yeah, when when did inflation start to get really bad? Like certainly kind of mid-2022, and it's it's definitely tracked alongside that. Um the the other thing with inflation is just like it's also hit all of our customers. So like there's quite a few bars and restaurants that, you know, used to exist and, and certainly COVID shut down a lot of operations. But even the post COVID environment uh, ha has continued to do so. And so that has also been challenging kind of the, both the loss of the um, kind of really raring e-commerce business, but also the, um, you know, some of our uh, some of our more consistent uh, wholesale customers as well. Yeah. And I mean, you spell, you, you sell like a, a bit of a niche product, like you're, you're, uh, you know, at a higher price point, presumably than the guy from Brickworks who can come in with three for one Certainly. deals or whatever the hell they're throwing around for, I don't know what the cider deals are like, but I'm sure that happens with them too. 
Yeah, it's funny. All of those are illegal, but people are all doing them. Yeah. Um, I've been talking about it for 10 years. Nobody gives a fuck. I've almost given up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, technically totally. illegal, but it's just the way the business is. So everyone's like, yeah, 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 whatever. But yes, it's brutal. Yeah. And it literally, like, you are a perfect example of how that actually hurts small businesses. People are like, whatever. That's the price of doing business. Margins are really thin in the restaurant industry. I'm like, yeah, but if the expectation is that everyone has to give you free shit, you know, what happens to the Tariqs of the world? They're like, well, the things get shut down. Like, not to say you're getting shut yeah. down, but I mean, I saw your newsletter. I've seen your Instagram post. Things are feel a little bleak for you, man. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely, uh, yeah. So I guess, I mean, we can kind of come to the beginning of uh, October of this year now. Oh, that's kind of, uh, I guess, when we started putting that out uh, and making it publicly uh, known. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, we, uh, you know, I I tried to, I guess, continue to, you know, part of the post-COVID plan, uh, I suppose, was like, okay, like, let's try and open our own um, kind of tasting room. And, and like, people do want in-person experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a manufacturer, there are, like, some margin benefits. So, you know, if you're making the product that you're also serving um, in your own kind of, you know, bar, so to speak which basically is what the tasting room is like there are right. there's some margin benefits there um you're like okay maybe this can kind of make up for the uh the loss of in, in other parts of the business and it and so we took on a fair bit of debt and actually our first debt ever to to do that which was um yeah i mean it certainly feels like the right reason to take on debt to build a new revenue stream like from a business perspective that is why you do that right. um, or it's the best reason to do it at least um and so yeah, it felt like we were kind of making the right decisions. And and, and I did take that on before interest rates got really wild. Uh, so, um, yeah, I felt like a better uh, idea at the time than it has now uh, turned out to be, uh, unfortunately. And so, uh, yeah, that's like part of it. Um, the other thing is, you know, I have some inexperience with, you know, how long a restaurant both takes to get open and then takes to really find its feet. Right. Um, and I was like, okay, like, let's just get it open, just get it open. It did take like two years of construction, which is wild, but uh, yeah, that's just what some of these, sometimes these projects take, uh, mm-hmm. especially if you're going to a space that was not a restaurant before. Yeah. Um, it was just my, you know, Mike, the movers mechanic shop basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, that, that didn't help. Um, and then, I mean, we, you know, we benefit from having, you know, a bit of a, you know, kind of broad reach. And so a lot of the folks that are coming out have, have been like folks driving out from Toronto and Montreal and the States. And there's certainly some locals, but um, uh, I think it takes a little while for, you know, a city to realize that there's a new bar in town um, yeah. and, and for you to kind of, you know, cultivate those relationships to have regulars and all of that, which, you know, it's nice to have people driving in from out of town, but uh, those aren't people that that you know come every every weekend or, or whatever and really kind of sustain it over the long term and so yeah bars bars take a minute to yeah. to get to get their feet and so we I, I wasn't quite prepared for that but i also wasn't quite prepared for a two-year construction project and now with like interest rates going crazy and, and a continued kind of drop in the uh the the wholesale side of things that was a. Uh, it's been it's and then of course yeah rising costs everywhere so like glass and cardboard are both twice as expensive as they were a couple of years ago right and so it's kind of it's kind of like uh like four things hitting at once and like any three we would probably would have been okay and it's right. just like uh yeah it's that's that that makes things difficult yeah so I, it seems like 
the your you know i don't say fan base but like your customer base you've you've got uh i mean not that social media is necessarily an indication it seems like you got a pretty loyal following everyone i know that has had your cider and drink cider says you guys make amazing cider i've i've i became aware of your instagram not even through your instagram i read it somewhere else first so like it seems like people are responding but is that just like thanks or is it helpful like is there is there some light at yeah. the, end of the tunnel like i know you've got a sale going on you're coming yeah. to, you're coming to Milos on Friday cuz Milos probably was just like I'll buy all the cider you can sell me right now cuz he's Milos. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, it's kind of kind of interesting and I feel like uh it might be fun or I don't know interesting to listeners just to hear the entire uh kind of process from like October 1 on but basically when when shit like really started hitting the fan we we basically ran out of cash completely about like 3 weeks ago um as a company. Oh we Sorry, we had enough we had enough cash to pay out some severance basically in our last payroll to like lay some people off. And so at this point in time, I was like, okay, like that's it, we're done. Like uh, you know, you ran out of money. I've maxed all my personal credit, we've maxed the business credit, and and there's there's basically nothing left. I'm the only I own the whole company. I love that you're smiling no this whole thing. You're just like, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean what are you gonna do? Yeah, I mean that's yeah, I, you know, I had uh it was it was a very you know, stressful couple of weeks uh, where there were you know certainly a lot of tears, but I feel like you know you get that out, and now it's like uh, you get to a point where you've kind of accepted it, and you gotta you gotta just do your best to 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 figure shit out. But basically, at that point in time, I just called some of our oldest bar and restaurant customers, and I was like, guys, like I don't know if we're gonna be around. Like I'm gonna have to you know tell the bank uh, that we're in some trouble, and like. At this point in time, I'm like, you know, they may just take the keys and and liquidate our equipment to to get as much back as they can. Um, like I don't know what the what the future holds. So if you want anything, like it's probably your last chance to get something. Right. Um, and the response was was yeah, like we'll take big orders, but it was also like like how can we help? How can we figure this out? Which was really like um, I think like not exactly what I was expecting. I was kind of just like like okay i just like have i feel some responsibility to these people that have you know helped visit, build this business um and i you know certainly wasn't able to call every single licensee uh, at all but uh yeah just to call you know a couple of them that i had you know phone numbers for and had you know either texted or, or spoken with them in person in the past um and they basically all placed very very large orders which ended up giving us enough runway for like a week and a half and so that combined with you know uh, unfortunately having to lay off a lot of the the team in the back here like you know we still got our bartenders because surprisingly the bar is not you know burning money uh which is nice um it's it's profitable but it's a very very tiny part of the business so it's just like, not enough to offset everything else um but we laid off uh, quite a few folks so it's basically just me christy who's like uh operations manager i suppose but at this point in time she's like packing all the boxes and getting things labeled um right. Uh, and then our driver, Kirk, uh, and so it's just us three in the back here uh, at this point in time. But but yeah, the bars and restaurants, uh, and, and Milos being one of those, um, kind of allowed us to go, okay, like, let's take stock here, see what, you know, we, we, have, a, we have a fair bit of inventory because, you know, as much as cider is often consumed like beer on tap, like we're doing this tap takeover on the weekend, uh, it's, 
it's made more like wine, right? You know, right. you're pressing fruit, you get fruit in once a year. So you, you end up sitting on a lot of inventory like a winery would. Um, and so we're like, okay, we have like probably actually a couple of years worth of inventory here, just from like old vintages and whatnot that, you know, we've been either aging or whatever, right? Um, we're just haven't gotten labels for or what. Um, and so we're like, okay, we've done this thing with bars and restaurants and, and they've come out for us in like a really big way. Let's like just see what we can do. You know, at this point, it, it was less. When I was initially making the plan, it was less about like trying to save the company and more just like these are some phenomenal releases and I just want to get them out into the world if this is you know, our last hurrah. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was like, OK, we, we took that week, ordered the labels for everything and kind of like. Um, I guess let everything stew a little bit and I was like, OK, you know, just doing some like back of the napkin math. Like I sat down with one of the owners of Burdock, uh, Jason, and we spent like four hours just like pouring over all the numbers. And he's like, you know, I think I think there's a path like you might really have to you might really be setting yourself up to like grind for the next three years. Uh, you know, if you have that in you, he was actually suggesting that we don't kind of make this like public post um not out of any like you know desire to hide anything but just more like he's like this is a risky plan basically mm -hmm. if you're gonna put this out there and like hope people buy enough that you know you can cover the highest interest debt so that you can survive this thing it's like what if people don't buy enough then you're fucked right. uh, and so that's like certainly still a a big possibility but uh yeah i think my style has always been to you know keep customers uh informed uh yeah, yeah. You know, we don't have investors and i feel like uh our customers are the investors like them buying things is what has allowed us to do things because again we haven't had any debt for the longest time right so like everything was funded by you know each individual bottle going out and it's like i've 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 tended to to be a little bit more open maybe than other businesses um because I just feel that yeah, I don't know people deserve that because they built this thing. Um, well, you know, for the most certainly part, not in this kind of me, in this industry, but... beer, whatever. I mean, people recognize authenticity. That seems to be a theme that comes up, or maybe it's just me that I say it all the time. But I mean, bullshit. We smell it, right? I mean, most people sure don't appreciate that. So the fact that you're being, you know, you're wearing your heart on your sleeve and being honest, that's the kind of business I would like to support. So. I mean, I'm gonna place an order when we wrap up tonight. <laughs> yeah, you should, you should, uh, you should wait a couple of days because we have a lot of new releases coming this week. Okay, um, good to know. Good to know. Yeah, we're just like hustling to label all of them as fast as we can, but uh, they should be, they should drop tomorrow actually. At well, least I mean, and then maybe not, yeah. not to turn this into yeah, a commercial for Revel, but I mean, we kind of right, glossed yeah. <laughs> over what's so amazing about Revel because we talked a lot of business, we talked taxes, we talked politics a little, you know, of the business, but like. Uh, you do have a pretty unique product. And I will say that like, I, you know, I don't know if they're competition. You guys all seem friendly, but until I went to West Avenue and, uh, and, and Chris just kind of rolled out a bit of a red carpet. I was there with some friends and we did like cheese pairings and he was pouring stuff from crazy bottles. I was like, it was mind blowing. Like the things that you could yeah. do with, with different yeasts, like in, in your head, you probably have some idea of like rot gut cider that's sweet and, you, you know, you drink it before a soccer game and get in a fight or something. Yeah, you know? I've, I've, I've certainly <laughs> drank that stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, in my younger years. <laughs> but I mean, if you're into I mean, your your whole vibe is, you know, the biodiversity of the area. You're talking about 
anyone who's unique, you know, familiar with wine or, or wild fermented beer and wants to talk about terroir, I mean, you've got it all. I, 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 that's kind of the vibe. And when you're drinking a, you know, a well-made cider, there's shit going on that you don't taste with a lot of beer. That's for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, yeah, the whole kind of biodiversity element is, is maybe the biggest part, but yeah, certainly like, you know, earliest, earliest years, we were kind of selling exclusively to craft beer bars because that's who was buying cider at the time, um, especially like these kind of uh, off the beaten path blends. Uh, and then, you know, natural wine wasn't even a, a term when I started making cider. Right. Uh, and then it, it became a thing uh, a few years in where we're like, oh, like this world actually feels like it almost fits more. I want to say more naturally, but just to use that word again, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it feels like a more natural fit for like what we're actually doing here. Like certainly we, you know, we're making these wild fermented things and, and yeah, there's wild fermented beers, uh, but like all of this, this natural wine movement and it's agricultural, not that beer isn't agricultural, but um, because all of these uh, ingredients in wine are, are typically fresh, it feels like you're a little closer to farmers uh, for that reason. Um, whereas, you know, there's no like, you know, BSG, you can just go to, to buy, you know, dried grapes or whatever, or dried apples, right, like, right. like you can, you can buy malt and, and hops like that, but you can't really buy fruit like that, at least not to make cider with, because the liquid's important. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where am I going on this tangent? But uh, yeah, so, so as far as like the biodiversity <laughs> aspect goes, um, it, it feels to me like, you know, you, even if you go to the grocery store, right, you know, we're buying the same 20 species every single time. You know, you, you get tomatoes, you get potatoes, you get garlic, whatever, you know, it's it's like we everyone around the world is buying these like same 20 species uh, every time they go and get food almost all of the time. Right. Um and so there's there's like there's so many things here in our backyard that you walk by every day too that you know maybe are growing out of the uh you know cracks in the in the sidewalks not that that's where we go forage but uh <laughs> there are things that you 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 kind of your eyes pass over every day that you just like don't even know what they are but they're they're things that are edible that are delicious and, and often uh often the case delicious um that we've just kind of you know ignored uh the knowledge of um for such a long time and that's you know probably part and parcel with you know being uh, a new world country where we you know don't necessarily have those same uh, kind of traditions uh of other countries um yeah. so uh, as an example I, I i googled you a bit you know leading into this but I, yeah I, I think i google i read that you you forge spruce resin to line barrels yeah like, we have done that yeah <laughs> like they do in Razzini, which not my favorite wine i've been to greece <laughs> but yes. yeah yeah so i mean but the same thing like pilsner or cal does the same thing with their with their pitch butt barrel pilsner uh, right and, and godspeed just got a couple of those barrels i think and did right. their and own everyone went crazy uh, for so that like, pitch barrel shit totally. like, you're totally. doing yeah, you're yeah. doing similar stuff in guelph like <laughs> yeah we, and we've been doing it for for years before as well <laughs> right um yeah i mean you know we aren't friends with pilsner or cal so maybe it doesn't make as much of a splash but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, and and you know we're foraging the the resin from our backyard versus you know bringing barrels lined from Europe, but uh, yeah. you know they're all they're all cool projects. But uh, yeah, I mean for me it's like really like what grows here and can we uh, can we like you know put that in front of someone and have people 
you know, be excited about it and think, okay, yeah, this is like pretty delicious. Like, oh yeah, like mulberries. Um, you know, I have a mulberry tree. I never knew those were edible or whatever, right? Like right, whatever right, kind right. of conversations that these um, that these inspire. Like that's what I'm. That's what I feel like I'm. I'm. I'm really trying to do. So what do you drop? What do you, like talking about like putting in front of someone like, let's say a newbie walks in. I I don't know if you've got a lot of foot traffic. People have never had cider, but like you want to just yeah. be like, hey, this is what cider can be like. What's the what's the revel intro? Yeah. So normally the first conversation is like because typically people have had cider if they're walking into the door, but they they yeah. oftentimes people haven't had um cider that's wild fermented and zero residual sugar. Um, so that's. That's usually where I start the conversation and I'll pour them a, you know, a splash of time and place, which is a cider with, with culinary apples that we age on like those little, little kind of dolgo crab apples um, mm-hmm. for about six months. Um, we just mill them and then add the, the pomace. Um, give my recipes away here too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we so we do that. It kind of gives it a little bit more tannin, but it is still like a totally dry cider, um, you know, very much more in kind of the... Um, I guess Spanish style. I do want to say one thing about that too, because oftentimes when people talk about Spanish sidra in North America, they describe it as being really sour. However, if you go to Spain, that is not the case. Like it's not, the ciders are not riddled with, you know, volatile acidity. They're not all acidic. Um, right. That's that's not at all what Spanish sidra is. And I feel like uh, there's a lot of cideries in Ontario that, make something and it's slightly flawed and they call it spanish and it really bugs me uh but anyways that's a, that's, a, that's my little tangent okay. uh we usually also will pour people a splash of swath which is the cider that we do with strawberries cherries and uh red wine skins the red wine has changed uh year over year just depending on what grapes we get in that year um right now it's marichal foch which is a, a hybrid grape so it's got kind of north american genetics as well as uh european just a just a crossed um no one's making like uh, genetically modified grapes for wine. That's just right. not a thing that's happening. But uh, I, I also feel like uh, that's often a question that people have uh, when you talk about hybrid grapes. But uh, anyhow, um, so those are the two things that I tend to pour people um, just because they are kind of our, I guess, most popular blends. Uh, and then what, oftentimes what, what has happened is, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say on, on the opposite end of the spectrum, what is like yeah. a crazy release that you're excited about happening? This will air on Thursday, so I don't know if you're ready to tip your hat and tell people what's coming. Yeah, up. totally. What's something totally. mind blowing? You're like, you've never had anything like this before. You got to get a bottle of this. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. There's. I'm gonna have. A, I have a really funny. Answer I wish people could first. see your face. Your face uh... is like lighting up. You're like trying not to <laughs> smile. You're smiling. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I yeah, I've got a really funny answer for you first. And it's actually we're gonna release the first cider with zero residual well, sorry, with with residual sugar that we have in, in many, many years. Uh we made it in kind of the style of French cedra, which does have residual sweetness. Uh it's just the sugars in the apples. They have a process called keeving, which basically allows them to um, hold on to some of those apple sugars. Um We've done it in a slightly different way, but we've used uh, rennet russet, which is the most popular rusted apple in France, originated in Normandy in, in 1770, or at least that's when it was first recorded. Um, but it's also uh, known by the name uh, rennet du Canada. So it's kind of got a bit, uh, you know, this apple, I feel like, has a foot in both uh, countries, which is kind of fun. Um, it, all of our fruit is grown here. Um, yeah. 
but uh, yeah, we decided to make this French style seizure with this uh, apple and that is like, it's delicious. Uh, and really, yeah, it's, it's so good. Uh, but it's just, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm just like, it's so different from everything we normally do. And I like things with sweetness now after yes. eight, 10 years of making drinks. Uh, <laughs> that's not totally true, but uh, it's a really cool blend. And I think it's like a really fun thing, especially if people are into that European style. Um, are you bringing that to me oh, on Friday? That will not be a Milos on Friday because uh, it's not in keg. Um, okay. It's only in bottle, unfortunately. But he'll have some cool stuff. Um, he will have some really, really cool stuff. What? Uh, I feel like I just want to pull up his order and see what the heck I'm pouring there. Uh, <laughs> okay, so when when do we see crazy stuff yeah. on your website? Because if people are listening... So Let's be honest. Yeah, if people I mean, are listening this long, they want to buy cider. <laughs> if, they're if they're if they're listening to this on Thursday, we'll probably have like roughly eight new releases uh, at that time. On Thursday, actually, we're dropping a collaboration with Paradise Grapevine, so they gave us a little bit of their wine. We blended it with some of their cider, uh, some of our cider, sorry, um, of course, and uh, that's been in bottle for a few months, just kind of aging, and it's it's tasting really, really lovely. Um, yeah, there's going to be eight new releases this week and then probably another nice. eight next week. Like we're just trying to get literally every bottle that we have onto the website because I have to sell a shit ton of product in order to make this company survive. Uh, so, and people should yeah. come and people should come to the tasting room, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the bar is still open throughout all of this. Um, yeah, we've kind of moved our our amphora up there. So these are these kind of large, um, what are they, 800 liter clay vessels, um, which are pretty cool to see in person. But we you have moved a, we those actually, upstairs, 800. Sorry, uh, not upstairs, but up front to that bar. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, like, all, that sounds yeah, like a lot to move up some stairs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we did empty them. So we bottled what was in them <laughs> and then we moved them empty, but it was still a very stressful process. Um, just because, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, they're, they're giant clay pots that are very fragile. So, nice. yeah. That, but they're really cool. Um, and yeah, those Amphora releases are, are tasting really cool too. Um, so yeah, I'd be into those. And yeah, I mean, uh, I guess I should mention like we've sold maybe a third of what we need to do or about a third of what we need to to kind of keep things uh, uh, rolling. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we it, you know, it's been a really great start, but we still definitely got a mountain to climb. And so, yeah, I mean, that's that's what we're what we're going to. That's why we're releasing falls everything. Falls a perfect time to buy some cider. Yeah, it's right. Up come to Milos. I'm gonna try to make it out. It'd be nice to meet you in person. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna and I'll, I'll get yep. some cider. I'll get. I'll, I'll stack my. I'll stock my Stellar. Hoity toity yep. was the other brewery. The other. That's right. Oh, hoity toity. That's I right. Yeah, totally. Yes. Totally. <laughs> um. Uh. Sorry to to diverge again. At Milos yeah. is actually he's gonna have a couple of bottles of a collab we did with Brasserie Dunham. Um, and back in like 2018, uh, and literally they like gave me two kegs and a few bottles. He's, he's not going to have a keg, but we're going to have a keg on tap at our bar and I'm bringing bottles down to, to his spot. Um, so yeah, it'll be, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be fine. There'll be some cool stuff, but that'll be, those bottles will only be available Saturday because I'm okay. like literally driving them out Saturday. He's got all the kegs on site, but uh, he doesn't have those bottles yet. Okay. Well, I'm I'm conscious of time. We always do something a little silly on this show. If you haven't listened in a while, my my co-host Chris Peller, and we give him Pell's Corner. Well, he'll, he'll do a quiz. We'll do something dumb. So he's not here, but I'm going to keep his dumb spirit alive. And if you have <laughs> a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz you on how well you know your Apple facts. Oh, I love did, it. I definitely didn't just Google Apple quiz. So here we go. <laughs> okay. Perfect. I feel like you're going to nail this first one. And there's a multiple choice. 
I don't actually. You know what? I'm not going to give you the multiple choice because I don't think you need right. it. Science of fruit growing is called what? Oh, the science of fruit growing in general. I mean, like apples you need, you would be pomology. The, yeah, but uh, do you want the multiple choice? Pomology is on there. Uh, Olariculture, agronomy, or apiology. Well, agronomy would be, I think, like general agriculture. Uh, the last one was related to bees. Yeah, I haven't heard the second one. Maybe that's what it is. Olariculture. <laughs> I've never heard of that one. Is that it. it? Wrong. They say pomology. Maybe they meant okay, the same. Okay, well, I mean, apples. yeah. Yeah, pomology, yeah. Specific I'll give apple. you that one. We'll give you that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which weighs more, a bushel of apples, a peck of apples, they weigh the same, or those aren't real measurements? Well, a bushel is certainly real. I believe a peck is real too, but uh, no one sells you a peck of apples these days. Uh, so I actually don't know what that measurement <laughs> is. I'm going to guess that it's bigger than a bushel. You're going to say a peck is bigger than a bushel? I, I'm going to say a peck, yeah. But I'm I wrong. Know. A bushel of apples right. weighs 40 pounds. A peck is a quarter bushel, making it about 10 pounds. Okay. There you go. Yeah, no one's selling quarter bushels. <laughs> according according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the heaviest apple picked weighed in over one pound, two pounds, three pounds, or four pounds. Biggest apple ever. Oh, geez. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say two pounds. Four pounds. Four pounds. Holy yeah. shit. Four pounds, one ounce was grown and picked by Chisato Iwasaki at his apple farm in Hirosaki City, Japan in oh, 2005. You're not doing so well on this. You're not doing so well. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> the apple blossom is the state flower of Illinois, Michigan, Nevada, or New Jersey. Okay. Uh, it's probably not Nevada because I don't think they grow any apples there. You got Illinois, Michigan, and New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, awesome. I was I was actually born in Chicago, Illinois, although I've lived in Canada since I was six. So certainly consider myself more Canadian at this point. Uh, but I'm not going to guess Illinois just because I was born there. Uh, I'm going to say Michigan. I know they grow a lot of apples in Michigan. I feel like they also do in you New Jersey. It. So That's tough. correct. Oh, okay. It's right, also right. the state flower of Arkansas, FYI. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> a medium apple clocks in at about this many calories. 50, oh. 95, 160, or 200. A medium apple, 95. 95. Is so correct. Bad. Correct. <laughs> uh, one medium apple provides nearly this much of the daily recommended amount of fiber. Five, 10, 15, or 20 percent. I'm gonna guess 10. 20 percent, a fifth of the United yeah. States. Yeah, daily record. Yeah, uh, the farmers would appreciate 10 more, maybe because it means you have to eat more apples, but maybe they wouldn't. Maybe Are you peeling more. them? Maybe you're peeling them, you're not getting all the fiber. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Who knows? Okay, yeah. a gift. I mean, I'm just, I'm just drinking the juice, so we, got, any we got two more, and this one's a gift. <laughs> this bustling city okay. is nicknamed the Big Apple. I'm not going to give you the multiple. Oh, choice. yeah, all right, all right. New York City, great. Okay, you got that one. Uh, the origin of the nickname is a source of great debate. That's all they say. Okay, 
This is for this is this for fifty points. If you get this one, you uh, you still win. Seventy percent of U.S. apples are produced in this state: Delaware, Washington, Maine, or Arizona. Washington. Correct. Every state grows apples, yeah. but Washington produces nearly three quarters of the nation's apples. Other top producers. Every state grows produce. apples. There you go. I wouldn't have thought Arizona grows apples, but there you go. Yeah. Huh. Wild. Well, thanks for playing. You don't win anything, but uh, it's been fun. <laughs> <Great experience. laughs> yeah, totally. Thanks for Appreciate coming on the show, time. man. It's nice to meet you. And I hope I can get out, uh, you know, fingers crossed, the little people in my house are healthy and I can actually escape on a Friday night, but I'll, I'll hopefully come out. And... Yeah, Is it yeah. Friday or Saturday? It's Friday, right? It's Friday and Saturday. I'll be there Saturday. Okay. Um, but Milo's just actually, he's tapping the kegs on Thursdays. So stuff will okay. be tapped. Sneak peek. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'll, I I think Friday, he said there's like a something going on at Budweiser Garden. So he'll be busy anyhow. So uh, always something going like, on, on Saturday. Friday's usually yeah, a night's yeah, game. That's when the London Knights play and it's a shit show. Yeah, maybe that's what's happening. Yeah. yeah, maybe that's what's happening. But yeah, so I'll be there Saturday. But uh, yeah, but by all means, come out whenever. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. This has been fun. Good luck. Buy, if Thank you're listening, you. go buy that. some cider. Everyone listening needs to go buy at least one bottle of cider right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's some good ones. Yeah. Thanks, I mean, maybe the last. Hopefully not. But yeah, cheers. Take care. Bye. A longhorn. Longhorn lager? Do I look like a sarsaparilla man to you? One longhorn coming up. Longhorn lager by Farmer's Creed Beer. Grab the bull by the horns at select beer and LCBO stores. Uh, Six bush light, six bud light, and I love them. Tall boys.